Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his new home in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott's roots are in the heartland of Nebraska, but she now works in Bristol, Connecticut. Sarah, it looks like you're still finding your way from building to building in that maze of ESPN. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a struggle, but you know what? I found the Starbucks in here because my compass always points north. And so I am doing just fine. (laughs) Awesome. And I'm Buster Olney uh, working for my home in New York. The Astros and the Mariners last night. And for Dusty Baker, a big number. His 2000th win as a manager. Here's what it sounded like. Right-hander delivers. Swing and a miss. Got him on a slider, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros defeat the Seattle Mariners by a final of four to nothing, and that is 2,000 wins in the managerial career of Astros skipper Dusty Baker. Congratulations to Dusty. Robert Ford, 7:90 a.m. Only the 12th manager to reach that benchmark. He's now three wins from Bruce Bochy, eight wins away from Leo DeRocher, just 40 wins away from Walter Alston. Here was Dusty Baker talking about that number after the game. Well, it feels great. Uh, Thank you. Thanks to everybody. Thanks for all the support. Uh, Thanks to the players because I couldn't do it without them. And when I came here, I talked to Jim Crane and I said, hey, I'd like to I'd like to be here at least through 2000. And so now we got to add on to 2000. You know what I'm saying? I love the fact that they did that interview in a way, post-game, in a way that fans could hear it. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, backed by 24-7 support and access to product specialists. Call, click Granger.com, or stop by. You know who's getting it done? The New York Mets, who had a great day against the Braves on Tuesday, scoring early in both games of the doubleheader. Here was game one, Pete Alonso with the plate. Three and two, they don't go. And the pitch hit to the right side and on through. A base hit into right field. Jankowski around third on his way home. He'll score standing. Uh, the throw from Demerit goes to second. Holding there is Lindor. And on at first with an RBI single is Pete Alonso. And the Mets have a one to nothing lead. Howie Rose on the call on WCBS. The Mets built a lead against Charlie Morton, and they would hang on to win 5-4 to four in Game 2, facing Kyle Wright. Dominic Smith got a big hit in the first inning. The 0-1 lined in the air to left. That's pretty deep. Headed towards the corner. Demerit won't reach it. It is a fair ball. Base hit. Bounds up against the wall. It'll bring in two. Nimmo has scored. McNeil right behind him. Scores standing. And on at second with an opposite field. Two-run double is Dominic Smith. And the Mets have a 2 to nothing lead. And with a 3-0 lead in game two, they sweep the doubleheader from Atlanta. Bobby Witt Jr. hit an important home run in his career. Hit well. Deep left center field. Gone for his first big league home run. Ah, look at his teammates. Look at his smile. He has hit himself a big league tater. That's beautiful. Ryan Lefebvre, Rex Hudler with that call. Yeah, Bobby Witt Jr., after being homerless in April, hits the first of his career. The Brewers and the struggling Reds. And in the bottom of the third inning, the Brewers got a big hit. 1-1 pitch. Adamas a drive out to center. Sinzel is back at the track. He looks up. Bye-bye baseball. The reigning NL player of the week gets this week started off right with a three-run blast to center. And the Brewers grab a 3-0 lead. Now from 620 WTMJ, the Brewers win 6-3. The Reds continue to lose. The Angels' Shohei Otani is set to pitch against the Red Sox on Thursday after he had that little issue with his groin earlier in the week. Minnesota Twins infielder Miguel Sano is going to have knee surgery. There's no timeline for his return. The Reds placed all-star Joey Votto on the COVID-19 injured list. Votto's hitting 122 so far this season with no home runs and three RBI. And nobody can stop the Yankees. Nobody can stop Aaron Judge these days. 
field. There it goes. See ya. A long home run. Ties this game at one. Michael Kay with that call in the Yes Network. This game was close in the middle innings, and then the Yankees absolutely blew it open. On that Aaron Judge homer, it actually was caught by a Blue Jay fan who turned and gave it to a young Aaron Judge fan right near him in the stands. There was a big hug. Here's the the way that Michael Kay called this on the Yes Network. Now, we're going to show you something that if you have allergies or if there's dust in the house, this might affect you a little bit. On Aaron Judge's home run, proof positive that there are good things and good people in this world. Watch this. It's caught by a Blue Jay fan, and it gives it to an Aaron Judge fan. Awesome. The Yankees, after that 9-1 win on Tuesday, now have 11 consecutive victories. They are 18-6. and We'll be talking with the Yankees manager, Aaron Boone, coming up. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the ESPN basket pods are humming along here as the second round of the playoffs are in full swing. And on the low post with Zach Lowe, Zach is talking to ESPN's Nick Friedel uh, about Heat Sixers. Philadelphia struggles without Joel Embiid and how no one may have won the Harden-Simmons trade. Then ESPN's Tim McMahon discusses Suns Mavs and how Dallas's defensive solutions only create more problems for them to solve. Check out the low post with Zach Lowe wherever you listen to podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Aaron Boone is the manager of the New York Yankees who have won 11 consecutive games. And Booney, I'm, I'm curious about your answer to this because I've known you for a long time. Uh, when you're in a winning streak, what kind of superstitions are you honoring, if any? Oh man, uh, none, none. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it's possible. I, if if I was doing something, I would stick with it. But but no, I'm not not doing uh, anything right now. That you know, it's funny. Glaber Torres asked me that yesterday, right before the game. He goes, "Do you have any, do you do anything?" And I was like, "No, not really." You know, I'm I'm fairly routine oriented. Uh, usually no matter what. So, you know, I, I leave my office to walk out at a certain time. I, I do certain things, but, but more routine based that I'm not, you know, that I really don't obsess over that much. Yeah. That surprised me a little bit, Booney, because you're from a baseball family. I figured, and by the yeah. way, I've always thought when players talk about routine or being routine oriented, that that in some cases could be a euphemism for superstition. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely fair. There's probably something to that. Like I, I'll sit in my office and you know, when I'm getting ready to walk out or something, do things definitely a certain way and walk out at a specific time. So I guess, I guess there's a little bit to that, that I'm calling routine. <laughs> I, I haven't seen all the pregame uh, decisions that you make, but same guy taking out the lineup card. No, oh, that that's not true. Yes, but that's been the same all year. Um, Carlos Mendoza, our bench coach, takes it out every day, and and that doesn't really change. Okay, um, why do you think you didn't get that? I'm just curious. Being in a baseball family, 
I don't know. I don't know. But, but as, as you've talked me through this, maybe I am a little more superstitious than I, than I let on just because, you know, uh, some, some silly routines that are probably, uh, maybe a little bit steeped in superstition, but I try not to just because I feel like you can always be thrown off something and and I don't want that to, you know, uh, schedule, uh, wrinkle that gets thrown your way or, or something like that. I don't want that to, to, you know, affect or throw off the day. What's it like right now to be in your clubhouse? It's great. It really is. Um, it's, it's been really, um, since, since day one of spring training, there's been, uh, something that's been very, special about the group, um, about their, their focus, their preparation, their thirst to kind of, you know, be coached hard and, and improve at every little thing that they can. They're very tight knit. They're holding each other accountable. Um, and then when, when the game starts, they're going out and playing the game and having a lot of fun doing it. But there's, there's been something special brewing from with this group since day one of spring training and just they're, uh, they're, they're, they're incredibly hungry to, to be a great team. So, you know, all about the pressure of New York uh, and uh, earlier this uh, spring when Aaron judge, you know, didn't reach an agreement with the Yankees on on the deal. $213 million over seven years with the extension. Uh, we had you on Sunday Night Baseball right after that, and I asked you in our meeting, you know, how will he handle that? Uh, because obviously a slow start and the fans start to potentially, you know, respond to that. And you I, I almost got the feeling like you were like, no, nah, that's not going to be an issue at all for Aaron Judge. And as of this morning, and here, you know, your superstition can kick in here, you know, hitting 303, he's on pace for 61 homers and 128 ribbies. He's playing great. Why were you so confident that that was not going to be an issue? Just because I know the person. I, I mean, I know the kind of, first and foremost, the kind of teammate he expects himself to be. Um, and I know the the how much confidence he has in himself playing this game. And, and just the competitor that he is, you know? So, you know, if anything, this, this gives him a little more motivation to, you know, go out and show the world just, you know, how great a player he is, but knowing his makeup, uh, uh, either way, you know, I, I knew he would be, he would be totally fine. Booney, did you have a conversation with him after that all played out and, and, uh, and what, what did you relate to him if you did? I have not had one conversation with him about the, about, about the contract. Um, it's our, our, we have a very strong relationship. Um, but we have not talked contract at all. We have just, you know, our, our conversations are, you know, about, you know, our lives, our team, his, our teammates, um, you know, what, what we need to be doing. Um, you know, I, I run certain things by him every now and then when I'm thinking about doing something team related and he is, he's just, he's just great. He's a great team leader. So your front office bet big in the off season on defensive upgrades. Uh, and you know, that's, that's playing out. I'm sure you've seen some of the metrics you guys, Last year, 29th in defensive run saved out of 30 teams. So far this year, and it's still early, third out of 30 teams in defensive run saved. Tell me how you see on a day-in and day-out basis uh, that being difference-making. It's, it's been stark. It's been, it's been remarkable how much better of a club we are in that regard. Um, you know, I think, I think our tandem behind the plate has been – great um you know they haven't hit a lot yet but and and they're going to hit more than they have so far but they're just preparation their connection with the pitching staff their ability to you know receive um has been really really a, a real strong anchor for us um anthony rizzo at first base is you just you see him play the position and you go man that's 
that's what first base looks like. Just that smooth lefty, great hands, throws well, moves well, plays the game within the game so well. Um, bringing Kiner Falefa over, he he, you know, he got settled in after a few days to start the season, and his athleticism shows up every night. Just his ability to go get the ball uh, up the middle. You know, he plays so well with his feet. Um, and 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 his athleticism is just it shows up there every day. DJ LeMahieu, um, wherever we put him, he's just physically you can see how you're you're like oh he's moving so much better he's throwing better. Donald's real still really play third. Um, Glaber's played really well at second base, and then in the outfield, you know, with Giancarlo. Uh, you know, he's probably played, you know, I would say maybe a dozen games at least out there already. And he's still a very solid outfielder, made a great play here at Rogers Center the other night, jumping up on the wall. Um, but him being able to do that gives us some flexibility with with rotating guys around a little bit. And then Aaron Judge being able to slide over to center field and, and play it as well as he has. It just, we've, it's given us some flexibility defensively with also some, some premium upgrades, you know, especially Connor Falefa uh, up the middle. Yeah. I was going to follow up on that. The first time I talked to you in the spring, you told me a great story about uh, your first conversation with him after you traded for him. If, if you can relate what he said to you in that first phone call. Yeah. So I was, I was really excited about getting, um, Isaiah, um, you know, as a matter of fact, when he got traded to Minnesota, I was really bummed because I was really hopeful that we could somehow get him. And then a day and a half later, we get him. It was, it was, it was exciting. So I, my first call was to him and, and it was that it was pretty late at night when the trade went down and I called him, I said, Hey, just welcome. Um, you know, I, I'm sure it's been a whirlwind for you the last couple of days. He goes, no, this is where I wanted to be the whole time. And he goes, you got the right guy. <laughs> and so right away he, he made a pretty uh, declarative statement that, uh, you know, he, he was, he was the guy for shortstop for us. And, and so far he's been, he's been as he advertised and, and as we heard about uh, loves to play the game gamer um, plays hard um, plays with a lot of confidence, plays with a little bit of a swagger. and He's been great. He's been great for us defensively. And, and down at the bottom of the lineup, he's gotten a lot of big hits for us and just done a really nice job. Last one before you go. Last night, Dusty Baker, career win number 2,000. Uh, I feel like everyone's going to have a Dusty story, whether you know, it was the late Jimi Hendrix or Henry Aaron or every because he seems like he's known everybody. Uh, give me some thoughts on Dusty Baker. Man, um, just awesome, warm person. You know, I remember, you know, as a player, anytime you, you know, we first go first going to San Francisco and then to Chicago, just picturing him leaning on the cage behind the behind the behind the cage when their team was hitting and and look over at you and engage you. Um, the one All Star game I played in. He was the manager and he picked me. Um, and and I, so him calling me and telling me, you know, you're coming with me to the all-star game was, was obviously a, a special day. Um, but just somebody that's done so, so much of this game that I think everyone has just such a tremendous amount of respect for and, and love for. I mean, he's just, he's just, just a great figure in our sport and uh you know so happy for him that uh he reached such an impressive milestone an impressive number yeah i can't wait for his hall of fame speech because that is going to be the yeah. most unique oh, speech man. we've ever heard <laughs> just and the touchstones he has the connections he has to so many different people are it's really really something special all right, Boney. Thanks for doing this, uh, and I'll be looking for you to see if you're standing in the same spot tonight. Yeah, I'll, I'll be paying attention to it, too. Thanks, Buster. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, 
Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield, the covers baseball for ESPN. David, how you doing? I'm good, Buster. You know, I live here in Connecticut, so I guess I'm in, like, Mets and Yankees land. So if those are my hometown teams these days, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, just avoid the crossfire. Because there's going to be a lot. You know, I had a conversation with someone this morning about that, uh, how much fun this will be <laughs> during the course of the year if we get into the trade deadline time. Because uh, you, you and I both know Steve Cohen's going to be like, I'm going to push all my chips in the middle. What is Hal Steinbrenner going to do? Uh, you know, the, will the Yankees find themselves in an unusual position of trying to respond to what the Mets are doing? versus, uh, you know, the way it's always been. So just a, it's going to be a fun summer for sure. But before I get to that, and I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit of Yankees today, uh, let's talk about Dusty Baker. Career win number 2,000 last night. Uh, they asked me on SportsCenter today to define his legacy. So I, I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to steal your answer. Well, I mean, I know we're kind of – it's hard to avoid the Hall of Fame discussion because that's where we're at with him. You know, his managerial career, he's done it all, five different teams to the playoffs, two different teams to the World Series, other than he hasn't won the big one. Um, And of the other 11 managers to win 2,000 games, 10 are in the Hall of Fame and Bruce Bochy's going to get there. But all those 11 managers have won a World Series and Dusty hasn't. At the same time, I hate for that to be sort of his legacy, that he hasn't won the World Series, because he has been one of the biggest, most charismatic figures in the game over the last 30 years. And that's not even factoring in his playing career, which had over 1,000 RBIs, almost 2,000 hits. And I know you're really not supposed to combine the two. It's kind of against the Hall of Fame rules. But in his case, when you do combine the two, I think he's a Hall of Famer, even without a World Series title as a manager. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, I think, actually, his case reminds me a lot of Joe Torre's, right? Yep. Uh, a really good player. Joe Torre was not a Hall of Fame caliber uh, player, but when you combine what he did as a manager, and he actually had some struggles for years before he you know, managed the Yankee dynasty uh, and got his World Series rings uh, as manager there, uh, but when you combine the two, there's no doubt. And Dusty, I, you know, I mean, to me, he's got to get in the Hall of Fame because we want to hear his Hall of Fame speech. Yeah. <laughs> we want to hear about the Monterey Pop Festival. We want to hear about smoking weed with Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> being in the on-deck circle uh, with, uh, you know, for Henry Aaron, 715th home run, the first high five ever, all the players that, you know, he uh, he managed through the years. And the thing about Dusty, and I, you know, all those numbers and achievements, and as you say, you know, the whole question should the World Series, uh, you know, be a litmus test for him as a manager. It comes down to me is that people really like him. There are not many people in the history of baseball that connected with individual players and teammates in a way that Dusty did. And that's, I think, a key to his success. Look at the teams he took over. Okay, the Giants way back in 93. They'd won like 72 games the year before. That first year, they went 103 and, of course, go on to many playoff trips. He goes to the Cubs. They'd been a losing team. They make the playoffs the first year under him. 
He took over the Reds. They'd had seven straight losing years. It took a couple years, but they were back in the playoffs three times in four years. The Nationals, they'd been good, but the year before, they hadn't made the playoffs. Under him, the first year, they're back in the playoffs. And then, of course, Houston taking over after the, the cheating scandal. You know, they go to the ALCS and the World Series in two years. The guy's a winner. And, of course, in his playing career, the Dodgers were in the playoffs every year when he was there. So, yeah, his likability, I think, is a reason players gravitate towards him and have success. Yeah, I, I want to hear that Hall of Fame speech. I mean, yeah. I'm dying for that. I, You know, whenever he retires, I hope they immediately put him in so, so we can hear that. Uh, two people who look really smart right now are Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees, and Aaron Judge. Yep. Uh, first, we start out with uh, Cashman. You get a lot of criticism in the winter because they didn't make the big move. Uh, you know, idiots like me were predicting that they were going to go big on, on Corey Seager and, and Carlos Correa. They didn't do that. They focused on upgrading their defense. Um, and, and some of that is with inexpensive players. Yes, they, they took on a lot of money to install Josh Donaldson at third base, but they also, you know, they moved along Gary Sanchez because the pitch framing really was a thing. Uh, and they installed this, uh, you know, group of defensive catchers behind the home plate, including Kyle Agashioka. Uh, the Glaber Torres, the end of last season, he moves at second base. They re-sign Anthony Rizzo. And Isaiah Kleiner-Falefa yep. is clearly, you know, a huge upgrade over what they had. Uh, last year, they were 29th out of 30 teams in defensive runs saved. And as of this morning, Dave, they are tied for third among yep. 30 teams in defensive runs saved. So if you're Brian Cashman right now, you're feeling pretty good about those decisions. No, I'm with you. I was one of those guys who thought with all those free agent shortstops, they had to go down that route. Didn't even matter which one. They were all going to be an upgrade over what they had last year. But you're right, Brian Cashman. Pitching and defense, I mean, who thought that would be the Yankees? But look at the runs scored per game. Who's leading the majors right now in runs per game? The New York Yankees, their first in home runs. And as you said, a key reason there, Aaron Judge. He's red hot. He's now tied with Rizzo for the the MLB lead in home runs. He's hitting over 300. And if he stays healthy, he's going to get all the money in the world. So I, I understand the pitfalls of uh, the phrase on a pace for, okay, especially <laughs> with a player like Judge who has his injury history. But I was looking at his numbers this morning when I was getting ready for Sports Center. He's batting 303. He's got an end base percentage, I believe, at 364. Slugging percentage is 674. And then if you look at his production so far this year, he's on a pace to hit 61 homers, drive in 128, score 115, that bet on himself when he yeah. turned down that Yankees offer, $213.5 million. Dave, it's looking pretty good right now. <laughs> I mean, didn't you think he was a little crazy. crazy to turn that down with his injury history? Oh, and by the way, and I'll answer your question, not only, I mean, who cares what I think, right? People on the union side, agents yeah. that I spoke to were like, what? He is nuts. But right now, if he continues this, you know there's some owner out there who's going to give him $100 million more than what the Yankees offered. And here's another key, too. He's been playing, you know, a fair amount of center field. You yeah. know, and, he's, and that's a key to their team, too. With Aaron Hicks, with his age and his own health history, he's not really, a, you know, an everyday player. So Judge's ability to slide over to center field a couple times a week, that's huge for that team, and he's – He's pretty good out there. I mean, he is just such an amazing athlete. You know, he's been a gold glove caliber right fielder. And you're right. This is the best he's looked overall since, since his rookie season. It's, it's fun to watch. So the Yankees have taken the first two games of this series up in Toronto, uh, and they have shut down the Blue Jays. Yep. And a lot of teams these days are holding the Blue Jays yep. offense down. Uh, you sent me this note this morning about, uh, you know, the question, should we be worried about the Blue Jays offense? I, my answer to you would be not necessarily, but, you know, the, the last two days aside, Bo Bichette obviously is off to a really slow start. And I never would have thought of Teoscar Hernandez as being an absolutely pivotal guy in that lineup. But that's kind of the way it looks right now because of the depth that uh, you lack when he's not in there. 
Yeah, it's one of the things I do early on. We have all our preseason projections, and we think the teams are going to be this good or this bad. Then you actually watch the games, and you just sort of envision the lineups, and you realize, yeah, without Hernandez, the lineup just doesn't look near as strong. And production-wise, it hasn't been good. And, yeah, with him, without him and with Bo Bichette struggling and they haven't got much from their catchers, um, they just don't have a lot of depth. They really need everyone to be healthy and all those big boys to be hitting like they did last year. And Look, they're 15 and 10. You know, they're in good shape. They're nine and three in one run game. So that has helped the win loss record. So my level of concern, you know, it's about a three on a scale of 10, but you know, I'm keeping my eye on them to see if that offense is going to be as good as last year. You ready for some early season uh, trade predictions? (laughs) Let's hear it. Okay. Last year. And I, I, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll give a lot of predictions that turn out to be wrong. But early last year, I talked about how Anthony Rizzo was a perfect fit for the Yankees. And I'll give you another one, a guy who would be a perfect fit for the Toronto Blue Jays, Josh Bell. Yeah. The Nationals are going to be in sell mode this year. There's no doubt about it. Josh Bell's off to a great start, 464 on base percentage. But the biggest thing is he can hit left-handed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That- uh, and he would help to balance out that lineup. He would be a thumper. You could see would be perfect right in that Vlad Jr., Teoscar, uh, you know, mix right in the middle of their lineup. You yeah, like no, it? That's a really good point, you know, and I, we all, ever, look, ask any major league manager. They love the balance in the lineup, that Blue Jays lineup as good as it was last year. Definitely skewed, you know, all right-handed. Josh Bell, switch hitter, uh, would fit right in whether, you know, I guess they'd play him at DH with Vlad at first base, but they could, you, yeah, perfect fit for that lineup and free agent at the end of the year. So absolutely the Nationals will be trading them. Uh, let's talk about the, the American League East versus the National League West, because it does look like these might be the two best races we see. Which one's better in your eyes? Yeah, I think that's a fun question. And, you know, the Dodgers haven't really kicked it into gear. Oh. So I think, I think there's a better chance that the Dodgers pull away. As good as the Yankees look right now, I think the Jays and the Rays are going to figure out ways to hang close um, I think the Dodgers might pull away, but at the same time, there's a really good chance that that's going to be a tremendous three-team race. The Padres pitching looks really good right now, especially yeah. with Mackenzie Gore, um, who was a complete wild card coming into the season. He now looks like that great prospect from a few years ago, um, and then they'll get Blake Snell back at some point too. So, um I'm going to go NL West because I think there's a chance there's a three-team race, you know, and I hope there is. As good as last year's two-team race was, a three-team race would be even better. I agree with you. It's interesting. Those three teams are off to good starts, but I think with the Giants and the Dodgers, my questions are around offense. You know, last year they had that, you know, great trio that you could count on day in and day out in terms of being a steady source of production, Buster Posey, Crawford, Belt, you know, Buster Posey's retired now. Crawford's off to a slow start. You know, can that group be the same? And on the other side, while, you know, we hyped up Cody Bellinger uh, in the first few weeks. Of, it looks like he's turned the corner. He's hitting 203, Dave. Yeah. He's, no. you know, he's gone back down. Max Muncy is not off to a good start after that elbow injury. Justin Turner, uh, who's going to be on the mic this Sunday, by the way, when we have uh, Dodgers and Cubs. He's off to a slow start. So you kind of wonder and how, that, that Dodger offense everybody talked about is maybe being one of the best ever. You kind of wonder where they're going to be. Yeah, and when we were talking about that, I thought the two keys for them to have that great lineup, one of the best ever, was Cody Bellinger. And you said the strikeout rate is well over 30%. He's popped a few home runs, but I am not buying into him having this resurgence. I don't see it. He looks to me, he's hunting fastballs, you know, uh, trying to catch up to them and struggling against everything else. It's a kind of a one-dimensional approach. I don't know if it's going to work out. And Justin Turner, you know, what is he, 37? He's at that age where you can fall off a cliff in a hurry. He's been one of the great players the last eight, nine years. I hope that's not the case, but 
he's really struggling. You know, exit velocity is way down with him. So I'm a little worried about his age. And if those two aren't star level players, they're not going to have this all time great offense. Yeah, Justin Turner uh, became a great player when he made adjustments in the middle of his career, and we'll uh, we'll see if he can make adjustments as we go forward. 45 seconds, what do you think about Robinson Cano and being released by the Mets, which happened right after we taped our podcast on Monday, and the question of whether or not he'll play again, because I don't think he will. I don't think he will. I guess my comment would be, has any player's career and legacy over the last few years kind of gone in the toilet more than his he was a surefire hall of famer and now he's had the ped suspension um he's probably not going to play again you know i think his hall of fame chances certainly based on how voters have treated ped players i think it's down the tubes yeah two ped suspensions right two uh, two PED suspensions and a friend of his uh, asked me a rhetorical question the other day. And it was very interesting uh, about uh, Robbie using PEDs. He goes, why do you think he did that? Because keep in mind, he'd already gotten paid. He already yeah. got his big contract and he got nailed twice for this. And of course the answer this person was looking for was because he felt like he needed them yep. to be a good player And that might give you some insight into how he's feeling about himself as a player as he makes this decision. You know, I I would not be surprised if some team says, look, we'll put you in the minor leagues. We'll let you try to work it out, see if you can find that swing. But there's a lot of data uh, that suggests he's really struggling against high velocity. And and that was certainly behind the, the Mets decision to cut him. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. All right, you bet, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Uh, Todd, how are you doing this week? Good, Buster. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, I love following you on Twitter. You post the, the coolest pictures, a lot of memories for you going to different ballparks. And you, you sent one, I think it was Candlestick Park. Uh, yes, yeah, earlier this week, and it sort of raised the question for me, because I think you would agree with me when we talk about the worst baseball parks ever, Candlestick is in the conversation for that. In your mind, what is the worst big league park that you ever went to? Wow, Buster, I have been to, I think, 54 or 55 of them in my very old age, including a lot, obviously, before the stadium boom of the 90s, 2000s, all that stuff. So at the top of the list, Candlestick is up there, no question about it, but old Arlington Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Uh, I'm just thinking about having attended a game in sometime in mid-June, you know, no amenities, very, very hot. They have air conditioning now. The world has changed. Uh, Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, Yeah, metal benches, winds gusting off the lake. And speaking of winds gusting off the lake, the dearly departed Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Um, Dennis Oil Can Boyd famously saying, who would put a ballpark on the ocean comes to mind. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I'm guessing the ballpark riverfront, three river uh, stadium. You know, yeah, I mean, river, the, the, the troika of riverfront, uh, three river stadium and the vet, they overlap because they looked similar. Boy, Buster, you know this on hot days. Trapped in that concrete donut with no air moving around. Yeah. Uh, those multi-purpose stadiums just did nothing for, for anybody. Terrible place to see a football game. Terrible place to see a baseball game. Again, no amenities back then. Not a lot of fun. St. Louis, I think, rises uh, above that pack a little bit because it had some nice design elements. The location was you know, where it was. Um how about you? Any any really bad ones come to mind? Let's pile yeah, on. Yeah, candlestick. It's candlestick for me. Like I, the few times I went there, it was miserable. Uh, at night, it was terrible. The players would be freezing in games at night in July. Uh, yeah, that that would be. I, I didn't like covering games there. there well, that game that there. game that I posted a picture from it was yeah. thirty years ago yesterday. So it was right. May third, two thousand or nineteen ninety two. Again, early May in San Francisco. I go in some cutoff jeans. Um, it's a beautiful day. And by the seventh inning, there's trash just like sw- spiraling around the warning track, um, you know, at very high speed. So the weather changes 
very rapidly out there. We know that by now. I was younger and dumber. Yeah, the famous story, of course, when the Giants uh, owner checked the site to see how it would be for a baseball field. He went during the day. He didn't go at night. And then they built this ballpark. And then at night, it was absolutely terrible. And they had to live with that mistake. All right, let's get to this week's Phantom franchise. All right, Buster. New York was a city of almost 8 million people in the late 1950s. And it was the host of exactly one Major League Baseball club, the Yankees, after the Dodgers and Giants bolted for the West Coast following the 1957 season. Almost immediately after those clubs moved, New York officials initiated efforts to bring National League Baseball back to the city. Relocation candidates included Philadelphia and Cincinnati, where Red Legs owner Powell Crosley was unhappy about parking facilities at the club's aging ballpark, Crosley Field. When asked if his club would be playing in Cincinnati in 1958, Crosley said, I can't answer. He added, we are under no obligation to stay here. Talk swirled of a new Cincinnati ballpark with various sites and funding plans discussed. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball owners agreed to a rule that allowed cities of greater than 2 million or more to host more than one club, provided that their stadiums were more than five miles apart, which meant that the Reds would have moved to Brooklyn's Ebbets Field until a new stadium could be constructed. The city of New York stepped up in July 1958, offering to build a 52,000-seat stadium in Queens for an NL club. This would eventually become Shea Stadium. But by May 1960, the Yankees indicated that they'd be willing to share Yankee Stadium with a National League team on a permanent basis. In the end, Crosley got what he wanted. The city of Cincinnati and Hamilton County agreed to fork over $2 million to buy property that would be converted into 2,600 new parking spaces. And the club agreed to remain in Cincinnati for at least five more years. Powell passed away in March 1961. The Reds won the National League pennant, and the club was sold to a group fronted by Bill DeWitt for $4,625,000. The National League decided to expand, giving birth to the New York Mets in 1962, and Cincinnati kept its team and got a new ballpark in 1970, the aforementioned Riverfront Stadium. But today we can imagine the New York Reds Holding forth at Shea Stadium, they are this week's Phantom franchise. Now, I only ask this knowing the history. I wonder how, like, as that conversation was percolating in the 1950s, uh, the idea of a team moving to New York being called the Reds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the communist scare that was going on at that time. I wonder how that would have been received. Well, Buster, as you know, there was a stretch right in there. I think it was 1953 to 1959 or so where the Reds officially changed their name to Red Legs because (laughs) they didn't want to be associated with the Red Menace. But I would think in 1958, if you are are of that persuasion or political view, you're probably better off in New York than you would have been in Cincinnati. So maybe they would have fit right in. (laughs) And that does it for our 2022 political conversation on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Let's get to this week's quiz. All right, everybody. Here we go. This individual's player number was the first to be featured as a memorial on a uniform sleeve patch. Was it A, Roberto Clemente, B, Jackie Robinson, C, Cy Young, or D, Don Wilson? This individual's player number, the first to be featured as a memorial on a uniform sleeve patch, Clemente, Jackie Robinson, Cy Young, or Don Wilson? Wow. Wow. That's a great question. That Todd, you, wow. uh, you outdid yourself. I, boy, oh boy. Uh, you know, you feel, it feels Captain Obvious to go Roberto Clemente, and I always feel like you throw curveballs, and I don't think – you're plucking Don Wilson's name out of nowhere, so I'm going to go with Don Wilson. Taylor? I'll go Captain Obvious with uh, Roberto Clemente. I'll do Jackie Robinson. Taylor, it was Roberto Clemente. Yeah. Hot in 1973, when the Pirates wore his number 21 as a sleeve patch, Buster, to your point, 
1975 Astros memorialized Don Wilson with a sleeve patch featuring his number. Jackie Robinson, nope, nope, not, <laughs> no, sad, not until recently. So there we go. Taylor climbing up here. We have the current standings feature Buster with three, Taylor with three, Sarah with two. We've got a horse race. I love it. Man. Let's go. Uh, enough, enough uh, messing around. I'm coming at you next week, Taylor. Uh huh. I don't it. like this whole deal of a winning streak. Are you going to be? We talked to Aaron Boone about his superstitions. Are you going to have one before next week? Mm, you know, I, no one can see it because it's an audio medium. But I got a piece of hair that's like sticking down in the middle of my forehead, and maybe I'll yeah. I'll model my hair like that next week for the quiz. Well, for the sake of your wife, please change your underwear, okay? Because mm. some ball players <laughs> I know during a winning streak they don't change their underwear. <laughs> oh, gross, Buster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. All right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, everybody. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, P.K. Steinberg. He writes in, The Cubs, Nats, and Reds sold your family's farm. Sorry to tank. Which team is competitive again in their division first? Uh, I'm going to say, P.K., that I think it's the Cubs. Like they, You can see them beginning to build some, some good stuff on the roster. I still think they're going to be sellers midseason. The Nationals are kind of a mess right now. They're retooling, and the Reds are the worst team in baseball. John Tolander is up next. He writes in, is there a reason teams DFA players like Robinson Cano and Justin Upston, instead of just outright releasing them right away, no team is going to claim them, and they surely won't accept a minor league assignment? Yeah, I I think you're right. No team would claim Robinson Cano, but there have been occasional examples where teams have made mistakes through the years, and teams get out from underneath the contract. I remember, for example, uh, when Kevin Towers was the general manager of the San Diego Padres, who put a claim in on Randy Meyer, uh, a reliever with the Blue Jays. And, and then that happened with Vernon Wells as well, I think, at some point. And the, t- the team's like, no, go ahead. You can take him. So teams will make mistakes. And so you can understand why the general managers, heck, you know, you just wait another 72 hours to just go through the process. Corey Ruckert writes in the Reds are 319 with a run differential of minus 65. The closest team is Pittsburgh with minus 41. Do the Reds have a shot at worst team ever with them probably getting worse at the trade deadline? Hashtag sell the team, Bob. I don't know, Corey, for, for a couple things. I Look, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be trading off a bunch of players. They've, uh, you know, they've made a lot of their big money decisions. Maybe Luis Castillo at some point winds up being moved. Worst team ever, I'm not ready to go there yet. We're just 22 games in. And, you know, the 62 Mets, the 2003 Tigers, those two teams set a really high bar in being terrible. Hugman Love Baseball at Hugman Baseball writes in, can you please talk about how the Mets were, they led Major League Baseball and hit by pitches in 2021, then added Marte and Kanha, who also had high hit by pitch rates. How and how it should be, no surprise that they get hit more than anyone else. They have no justification to throw at anybody. Buckshaw Walter said the other day, not a, it, there's not been a single instance in which he believes the opposing pitcher has thrown at his hitters on purpose. But his point is, and the point of his players is, that's all well and good. But at some point, you got to stop hitting guys. You know, they've had three guys hit in the head. You know, when we had Buck on Sunday Night Baseball the other night, he mentioned to us in our meeting, they've counted 16 pitches up by the heads of players. And from the Mets' perspective, you can understand why that's not acceptable. I, you know, I don't know if I necessarily believe in the old school thing where you required to drill a guy in return. Um, but I, I do understand why the Mets are kind of sick of it because they're far and away leading the majors in HBPs. And it's not only about, you know, guys who have the tendency to get hit uh, or, you know, Pete Alonso, who you try to pitch inside to, it's also about pitchers making mistakes. Frank at F Bonfig seven writes in, Hey Buster, are we putting too much emphasis on Buck with this Mets start? The guy has never made a World Series, left Conan for too long in 95 and mismanaged a playoff with Britain, Ooh, having a historic year after all. So, Frank, and, and uh, you know, Taylor, Sarah, you guys can chime in on this. I, I think we've done a good job balancing this. You know, I know I wrote a piece over the weekend, and a lot of what I focused on was the fact that they added the right players, and that was Billy Epler and that was Steve Cohen with his money. Max Scherzer, Kanaw, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, those guys are really important, but I also think Buck's important. Like, there's no doubt 
uh, when you talk to players and they talk about it's just a different culture in there. And some of that's because the guys who've come in, but also Buck's in charge, right? He's got credibility. He's got a back of the baseball card. So I think anybody who says it's all Buck or all the players is making a mistake. I think it's a it's a nice mix of improvement from the not only Buck, but the coaches, you know, Joey Cora, Wayne Kirby with the new players coming in and performing. Yeah, I think people really sleep on clubhouse culture and how big that is really in all sports. I mean, it's yep. and him transforming it. It's, it's I had an obvious impact, you know, and, and Hembo put him at, at a 10 war. I don't know if that's like actually appropriate or whatever, but, you know, it's clear that there's an impact. And, and yeah, you've, you're right, Buster. We've been balanced on it. Yeah, I agree. I think that clubhouse culture is huge and it starts at the top. It starts with your leaders. And if everyone else is happy, then it's going to show on the field. Archie Tatis Jr. at win for Gwyn is our last tweet. Conspiracy theory alert. Do you think the Dodgers had any insight into the Bauer punishment before extending their payroll? 30 million is a lot to have suddenly dropped. No hard feelings if you guys don't want to promote this thinking. I know nothing uh, insidery, anything like that. So I will promote this line of thinking. I don't think it's that far flung to think that they might have gotten tipped off about this. Well, Archie, and here's the thing. I, I You know, I don't think it took a genius to think that he was going to face <laughs> discipline. Right. You know, now, is it possible that, you know, someone at MLB, you know, whispered to the to the Dodgers over the last nine months? Yeah, you know, it's not looking good for Trevor, you know, to continue. Yeah, I think that might have happened. But I, I think everybody in baseball, including, you know, sports writers were predicting that he was going to get face a major discipline. So I, I, I don't know. It, it felt like more like Captain Obvious that he got a suspension. Alrighty, that'll do it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching the games. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Watch Monday's segment with Carl Ravitch on YouTube if you've yet to do that, and we will be back on Friday. Yeah, that's a big hit so far, yeah? Big mm -hmm. numbers? Yeah, big numbers. Doing really well. Love all the listeners checking it out and all the new... If you've found the podcast through YouTube, welcome. We're happy to have you. That's it for today. My thanks to Aaron Boone, to Dave, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.